0: good evening and we're going to be looking in just a moment at the passage that was read for us we're going to look at 1 john chapter two as well as chapter four and then we'll note 2 john in just a moment or two as we think about the theme tonight the antichrist i do want to express thanks to those of you that are visiting tonight as always we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have we're always glad to have visitors with us we hope that you are made to feel welcome, we're glad that you're here. And it might be the case that you're looking for a church home and we want you here. We would love to have you come to be a part of the family here to help us do everything that we can to expand the borders of the kingdom in this community. Tonight, as we think about the Antichrist, there are any number of speculations that are presently ongoing As a matter of fact, you can go back in history and see that a number of individuals have talked about, written about the Antichrist. And so what we want to do is, first of all, look at the text by way of interpreting what the Bible has to say about the Antichrist, and then make some application to our own lives. As we begin thinking about what the Bible says concerning the Antichrist— I want to begin by noting the manifestation of the antichrist as reflected in the writings of John. The word antichrist is found five times in four verses. In 1 John chapter two verse 18 and then in verse 22 as well as chapter four at verse three And then over in 2 John, I want to just read for you what John says concerning the Antichrist. In verse 18, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. Verse 22 Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. And then in 1 John chapter 4, at verse 3, John said, Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And then turn with me if you would to 2 John. In 2 John verse seven, John writes, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. To my knowledge, these are the only verses in the Bible that have anything to say about the quote-unquote antichrist. The prefix anti or anti means to oppose, against. And so in looking at the prefix anti or anti, the idea is that here is someone or here is a group of individuals that are against. They are opposed to the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. There are a lot of people that have the idea that in the future there is coming an individual who will be identified or born out as the Antichrist. And many of those who are speculating about the Antichrist, they picture one individual who will rise to world power and thus be adored by the masses. But I want you to listen again to what John said in verse 18 of chapter 2 with regard to the Antichrist. John said, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? John said, many antichrists have come. That's past tense. In other words, in the lifetime of John, there were those that had risen up that were deemed by the apostle as antichrists. They were in opposition to Christ. They were against Christ. And there there were reasons for that, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. I said a moment ago that there are any number of theories that have been spun in recent years pertaining to the Antichrist? Probably one of the more well known writers, a man by the name of Hal Lindsay, he wrote a book in 1970 entitled The Late Great Planet Earth. When this book was produced, 15 million copies were already in print. This past week, I googled the book. There are now over 35 million copies that have been distributed. Here's what he says on the back cover of his book. Since time began, people have been obsessed with the desire to discover what the future holds. But to see into the future, we must look to the past. For the answers to many of our questions can be found in the Bible where clear and unmistakable prophetic signs point the way to what lies ahead. Over the past few decades, most of the predictions made in the Old and New Testaments have in fact come true. The rebirth of Israel, unrest in the Middle East, the revival of interest in Satanism. Now listen to what he says. These are all signs foreseen by prophets from Moses to Jesus as being the key signals for the coming of the Antichrist and a war that will bring man to the brink of destruction. Let me ask this question. Based on the passages that we just read, would you say that is a fair interpretation of what John said? Not at all. Pure fiction, all it is. Not just fiction, but false to the core. Now, listen if you would to what he says on page 92. As he talks about the rise of the antichrist, the reason we need to understand and and study about the antichrist is because it's so prevalent. And there are a lot of people that are speculative about the coming of the quote unquote antichrist. And they give rise to many fears in the lives of people. So here's what, here's what Hal Lindsey says. And by the way, I'm not in any way impugning his motives. I have no doubt that Hal Lindsey believes what he has written. I'm convinced of that. But I disagree wholeheartedly with his conclusions. He said the time is ripe and getting riper for the great dictator the one we call the future furor. This is the one who is predicted in the scriptures very clearly and called the antichrist. Again, let me ask this question. Does that fit the profile of the apostle John? He said the Bible gives a perfect biographical sketch of this future world leader. He says if you will follow the scripture, From Revelation, without being bothered by the figures of speech which are used, you will see that the Bible explains the meaning. Now let me just pause there and say this. Not one time in the book of Revelation is the term Antichrist used. Not one time. In 22 chapters, John never refers to the Antichrist. John wrote the book of Revelation in about AD 95, 96, about the same time that he wrote this epistle. Now, if the Antichrist were envisioned by John in the Revelation, would it not make sense that he would specifically speak of him in that book? I mean, wouldn't that stand a reason? On page 94, he goes on to say, we're beginning to see little by little the picture emerging of the future, furor. His conquest will be rapid. He will be very strong and powerful and there will be an air about him which is self-assured and proud. He goes on to suggest that Satan is the one that gives power to the antichrist. Here's what he says. Satan himself is going to give him fantastic power. He's going to be able to work all kinds of miracles. This is one reason that Christians should not get too excited when they see a miracle. I thought the age of miracles had long since passed. He said, it may not be a miracle of God. Satan is a miracle worker and he has been able to work miracles from the beginning. And then here's what he says. There's going to be a time when Satan is allowed to work all kinds of supernatural acts through men. Then here's what he says secondly. The second thing that will be given this man is a throne. This means world government. This throne was offered to Jesus Christ. In Luke 4, it is told how Satan came to Christ during his temptation in the desert and offered him all authority and glory of the world. Satan said he could have all the kingdom to rule, all the kingdoms to rule. If he would fall down and worship him, there is only one man who could resist that kind of an offer. Satan offered him a crown if he would bypass the cross, but Jesus wouldn't buy it. Now here's what he says. Now we are studying a man who will accept this throne wholeheartedly. That is the Antichrist. He will be worshipped as Satan is worshipped. With forms of, of idolatry that we can only guess in our wildest leaps of imagination. gonna tell you what. Pure fantasy. Pure fiction. Not a truth to what I just read. Again, I don't mean in any way to impugn the motives of Mr. Lindsay. But John tells us specifically that during the first century, the latter part of the first century, many antichrists had arisen. Now here's the question. How did John identify the antichrist? Was he able to pinpoint those who were against or in opposition to the Christ? Well, the answer is yes. Turn over, if you would, to chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 1, John said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test, or try the spirits, that is, try the teachers, whether they are of God. Why is that, John? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You need to understand that in the latter part of the first century, well, actually, during the first century itself, there was a philosophy that was at work called Gnosticism. And they believed that all matter was inherently evil. So they couldn't couldn't comprehend sinless deity taking upon himself human flesh. Thus they denied the incarnate Christ, the fact that Jesus came in bodily form. And so John is saying what you need to understand is there are many people that are propagating that which is not true. So here's what you need to do. You need to try or test those who are teaching. Well, what's the standard by which we deduce whether something's truth or error? Drop down and look at verse 6. In verse 6, John said, we are of God who know, he said, we are of God, he who knows God hears us. He said, he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error are diametrically opposed to one another. They are in conflict with one another. The only way that we can understand what is true or false, discern what is truth or error, is God's holy word. That's the standard. Do Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 15? He talked about false prophets that come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, he said, they're ravening wolves. And he said, beware of those people. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Bible tells us that the Bereans were considered to be more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. What you have to understand is that the apostle Paul had not only taught in Thessalonica, but he and Silas had made their way to Berea. And those people were putting to the test what an inspired apostle said. If they searched the scriptures and analyzed what Paul and Silas said in light of God's word, what does that say to us? It says we better make sure that we are searching the scriptures. When somebody says something, when they espouse a particular teaching or doctrine, well, we need to make sure it harmonizes with scripture. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Prove all things let just put it to the test. And then he said, hold fast that which is good. The inference would be that there are some things that are not good, that are not healthy. So, we have to be willing to put to the test those who claim to teach what God says. Now, look at chapter 4, verse 3. Listen, if you would, as John identifies the spirit of the antichrist. In other words, he's going to to define for us the teaching of the antichrist. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. In other words, those who were saying that Jesus Christ had not come in bodily form, they were deemed antichrist. How do I know that? Well, here's what John said. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming, now listen to him, and is now already in the world. I want to ask you a question. The Antichrist, was it already in the world during the days of John? Or was John projecting out into the future and saying what we need to do is look for some World leader to rise and identify himself as the Antichrist? Well, you know the answer. The Bible is its own best commentary. And sometimes people begin reading what others have written about quote unquote end times. And they get so far removed from Scripture, it's unbelievable. What we're talking about really dovetails into a doctrine related to the rapture and the word rapture, by the way, not in the scriptures. If the term is not in the scriptures, what should that say to us about the doctrine? It ought to tell us it's not biblical. Now, is Jesus coming again? Yes, he is. When he comes though, will it be secret Not at all. John said, every eye shall see him. Paul said, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Anything but secretive. When Jesus comes, everyone will know it. The graves will be opened. The dead will be raised. and We'll stand before Almighty God in the judgment. Now let me just maybe pause here and say not only does this theory dovetail into the rapture, but it's also interwoven into the idea that Jesus is coming back to earth and that he will establish a kingdom where he will reign on earth. Did you know Jesus is now reigning? Do you know where he's reigning? He is at the right hand of Almighty God. Is he sitting upon a throne? Yes, he is. He is sitting upon the throne of David but it is not a physical throne but rather it is a spiritual throne. So that's what the Bible has to say about the Antichrist. It's interesting to me that when Hal Lindsey talks about the Antichrist that he uses a book that doesn't even mention the term. What does that say about the doctrine? I mean, if you want to talk about the Antichrist, would it not stand to reason that you would go to the very books to talk about the Antichrist? Listen again, one other thing. In verse 18 of chapter 2, John said, many Antichrist, plural, not singular in nature. He said, many Antichrist have come. That dispels the whole notion that one person is gonna rise up and assume world power. What does that tell us? It tells us that the doctrine is false. It's not truth. So what's the application for us today? Is there application? I think there is. Turn over one other passage of scripture very quickly Look at 2 John 7. In 2 John 7, here's what John said. Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Now, verse 9, very important. Whoever transgresses, and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Those that would propagate a doctrine that is foreign to New Testament Christianity. John said, we don't need to have anything to do with them. By way of application, there is a spirit that is alive and well in our world today. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. That is, those who are in opposition to or against Jesus, the Son of the Living God. There are people today that deny the teaching of Jesus, in addition to his deity and his humanity. Furthermore, they deny the teaching, the doctrine of the apostles. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible tells us that the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the teaching of Christ. That's the teaching that we are to use as a pattern for everyday living. So what about application to us today? Are there individuals that would be against or in opposition to the teaching of Christ? Well, the answer would be yes, absolutely. Any individual, religious group or philosophy that would stand against the teaching of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is Antichrist. Against Christ. In opposition to the Christ. So, first and foremost, what about those today that would deny that Jesus is the Son of the living God? Are there people like that in the world today? In the first century, were there people that denied? The deity of Jesus? Absolutely. And yet the Bible gives us an abundance of information relative to the nature of Jesus. John said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The Word, the Logos, and the reference there is to Jesus in John 1, 1 and 2, has always existed. Micah foretold of the birthplace of the Messiah. And he said, whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting. Somebody that comes along and denies the deity of Jesus, the fact that he is the son of God, well, they would be antichrist. And there's, there are those today. That espouse the idea that the Messiah has yet to come. They're still looking for the anointed one. Let me tell you what. He came about 2,000 years ago. We have evidence of his coming. Not just scripturally, but also historically. The divinity and humanity of Jesus. In John 1:14, John said, And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul said in Colossians 2, verse 9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The emphasis there is on the divinity and humanity of Jesus. Jesus comprises the Godhead. He's the second member of the Godhead. He was the agent by which the world was made. He is all-powerful. John said in John chapter one verse three, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In first John chapter one, and again, John is dealing with this idea of the antichrist, those who were denying that Jesus Christ had, had come in the flesh. If you wanted to prove that Jesus had come in the flesh and you were gonna write a treatise or a narrative to somebody, how would you begin? Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, that reminds us of John chapter 1. Which we have heard, that's audible. Which we have seen with our eyes, that's visible. He said, which we have looked upon, again, visible. And our hands have handled. You mean to tell me they actually touched the body of Jesus? Yes, they did. He said, concerning the word of life. He said, the life was manifested we've seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John's saying, look, we heard him, we saw him, we touched him. We are eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses to the Son of God. And so that which we have seen and heard, we're making known to you. Why? So that you might have fellowship with us and with God the Father and Jesus the Son. And note if you would, he identifies Jesus as the Father's Son. Over in chapter 4, verse 14, he said, we have seen and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's Jesus. So any system, philosophy, or a religious institution that would deny the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ is antichrist. They're in opposition to Christ. They stand against the Christ. What about those that say Jesus is not the only source by which we can be saved? We live in a pluralistic world, and it seems, at least from my perspective that the most hated name in our society today is the name of Jesus. Did you see recently where a university president chided a football coach for talking about Christ? Called him on the carpet, so to speak. You see, the idea is that we live in a pluralistic society and you can't say there's just one way. You can't say, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. We can talk about Muhammad, we can talk about Buddha, we can talk about any any number of things, but we can't talk about the Christ. Let me tell you what, it doesn't matter what anybody says. Jesus is the only source of salvation. End of the story. The Bible says, and this is what Jesus said, I'm gonna quote what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If somebody has a problem, they need to take it up with the Son of God because he's the one that made that statement. Now Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. Listen to him, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you want to be saved, you have to be saved in and through Jesus Christ. There is no other way, I don't care what anybody says. Politician, university president, corporate head, it doesn't matter. School teacher, administrator, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the absolute only way to salvation. Anybody that says differently is anti-Christ. That is their antichrist. They're in opposition to Christ. They stand against the teaching of Christ. What about those that say, I don't need the church. I mean, why can't I, just be, why can't I just be a follower of Jesus but not have anything to do with the church? I mean, after all, the church is a human organization. It's a human organism. There are a lot of people in our world today think that they can have a relationship with Jesus separate and apart from the church. can't happen. Do you know why? Because Jesus promised to build the church. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I also say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Singular in nature. Possessive. Jesus built the church. It belongs to him. Well, What do you use to buy the church with? His blood. Acts 20, verse 28, take heed to yourselves, to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Does that not shed some light on the importance of the church? For somebody to say that the church is an unimportant institution? That we don't need the church? And it costs the very Son of God his blood, his life? Well, what about the church? I said just a moment ago that those who talk about the Antichrist, the rapture, the idea is that when Jesus came to earth as a king, he was rejected by the Jews. And so the Jews, in rejecting him, thwarted his efforts to set up the kingdom. Now a lot of people in the first century, the disciples included, they misunderstood the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. It is a spiritual institution. And so what they say is, since he failed to establish the kingdom, we now live in what is called the church age. That's interesting because Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, that the church exists according to the eternal plan of Almighty God. The church was in the mind of God before he ever laid the foundation of the world church wasn't an afterthought. As a matter of fact, the church and the kingdom are one and the same. Daniel foretold of the kingdom of God that would be established during the days of the Roman kings. If Jesus failed then, let me ask this question. What would prevent him from failing again in the future? Does that not reflect upon negatively his deity if he failed? But he didn't fail. Now, The church was a part of the eternal plan of God. Therefore, if we want to go to heaven, do we need to be a member of the church? Do you want to go to heaven? You sure about that? You say, yes, well, here's what the Bible says. Jesus is the savior of the body, Ephesians 5.23. If you're not a part of the body, you're not a part of the saved. And the only way you can be saved is by obeying the gospel of Christ. To say that the church is unimportant or that the church was not a part of God's eternal plan is antichrist. It is teaching that is against, opposed to the very teaching that the Son of God did while upon this earth. What about those that say, you know what? You don't have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. I mean, everybody knows that baptism is an outward sign of an inward seal. Oh, really? Really? No, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Why am I baptized? So that I might enjoy the remission of sins. So that my sins might be washed away. So that I can be added to the church. Acts 2, 47. Anybody that says that baptism is not essential to the salvation of the soul is antichrist. Against the teaching of Christ. Now, a lot of people that would They'd be offended if they heard that, wouldn't they? That's what the Bible teaches. You know, Paul, on one occasion, asked the question, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The reason we tell people the truth is because only the truth of Almighty God will save. Listen again to what John said over in 2 John. Look at 2 John very quickly before we close. He said, many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. You want to go to heaven? Yes. Then you better follow what the Bible teaches. Only the truth will get you to heaven. This book right here is going to judge us one day. Not the writings of any person. Not a single solitary confession of faith. Manual, church manual. None of that will be used to judge us. Only this book. And so if we want to go to heaven, what we need to do is make sure that we are following what God says because ultimately this book will be opened our lives will be judged in light of it Jesus said he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day the antichrist Please listen very carefully. The antichrist, alive and well today, any individual, philosophy, religious institution, teaching something that is in direct conflict with the teaching of our Lord, John said, they're antichrist. That's the application. We want to go to heaven, and we want you to go to heaven. The Bible's interested, well, the Bible was written so that we might have a map to get us safely home. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. I'm grateful that you're here tonight. I know that you believe Jesus is the son of God. Now maybe you haven't repented of your sins and confessed his name before others. Quite possibly you've never been baptized into Christ. Tonight ought to be the night that you do that. That you come to Jesus in simple trusting faith, being baptized so that every sin can be washed away. Let him add add you to his church. If you'll do that, you'll have the hope of life eternal. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be, you're not faithful, as we always do, we want to encourage you to come home. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?